Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Isn't that cool, that video for boxing? Looked really, really good. I hope that we can get that to the hands of a lot of people and let people uh, get a chance to see what we get a chance to do. Hey, uh, welcome. I'm glad you guys are here tonight. Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering, let me just start my timer to make sure we get done on time. Um, wondering, like last week we had 2,000 people here, so I think we need to have candy every Sunday night so we can always have 2,000 people uh, here. But tonight we're going to have some good encouragement in the Word. Uh, we're going to continue our work in First uh, John. Uh, so just pray with me, and then uh, we'll jump at, right into Scripture tonight. Father God, Lord, we just thank you uh, that we can be here and that we can celebrate uh, the greatest news ever, the greatest story ever told. Um, God, that you've given us something, you've taken us from death into life, uh, you've given us a purpose where there was hopelessness. And God, I would just ask, Lord, that we'd be light in life in this neighborhood, in Canto, Lord, wherever we are as a church, wherever we go as individuals, as the body, I pray, Lord, that we will um, take your message of light and love uh, to this world, that only Jesus can solve the problems that this world is facing. So uh, we just thank you, God, that we have uh, the truth of your word to look into, and we can be encouraged with that as we encourage each other, Lord, even tonight, God. So we worship you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John. 1 John, we're looking at chapter 3 tonight. 1 John chapter 3. And uh, I, haven't, I haven't been here to, uh, for a lot of services um, recently. Um, the, the new campus in Encanto is going well. And it's kind of weird, Pope, isn't it? Like being down there and kind of missing some of the people here and then seeing part of the people on Sunday and feeling like I didn't have Sunday because I didn't see all my people. And so it's good to be able to be up here and uh, to be at both campuses and be able to see what God is doing. Um, But as we continue to grow and go out, um, hopefully that even tonight, what we're talking about will be an encouragement to you. Um, This this passage seems like it could be easy. It can also seem like it could be misunderstood pretty easily. And so we're going to hit a couple of points that maybe you can take with you, and then you can think about it this week, process it. If you've got more questions about what we're talking about, feel free to to email us or contact us at the church office, um, because some of what we're going to be dealing with today is, is, um, I'm not going to lie, it's a little bit rough. Uh, when the Bible says that when you're not obedient, you're a child of the devil, that seems like it's a pretty good and attacking verse, right? If I was going to use something to really throw something at somebody, um, then I, I mean, you could totally say, oh, you're disobedient, son of the devil. You know, I could just see like the, the disciples when they went to call down fire, you know, onto the cities, like for people being whatever. But, but this is John later in life, and he's talking about living an authentic Christian life. Um, and we, sometimes we think about being saved in terms of something that, uh, we came to a place and we're good now. And John really talks about you're good to start the race, but you kind of have to know that there's going to be some more stuff coming. So uh, a couple weeks ago, um, Amanda volunteered me uh, to go down with a friend of mine uh, to Mexico. Um, he just posted online, hey, uh, I'm going down. I need somebody that can drive a truck and a trailer. And so Amanda's like, hey, I think Brent's free. Uh, he can drive a truck and trailer for you. And so um, I, I called him back and I said, my wife gave me the green light to go with you. And I didn't tell her exactly what the truck and trailer was for. I kind of had an idea. I think she had an idea too. She knew, but it was to go down because he is racing in the Baja 1000 in Mexico. And so he is practicing for the 1,000-mile race. This year, it's actually 1,200 miles. So it's going to take like 30 hours 
of like off-road road time from start to finish, all through the night, dust, crazy, dips. I mean, it's the crazy, it's, it, is, it, is, it is internationally known as the greatest off-road four-wheel race in the entire world. So teams come from other countries to come to test their skills because it's so, it's so ridiculous. So the biggest cars are like these trophy trucks. They weigh like 7,000 pounds and they travel 140 miles an hour off, off-road terrain. So if you Google it, go and watch a YouTube video and just you know do a trophy truck Baja 1000 terrible crashes and you'll see what he does. So these trucks are moving so incredibly fast and they hit dips, they hit dust. Sometimes the locals will actually dig out holes on the course so that the cars actually do crazy things because the locals like to see crashes like anybody else, um, except sometimes the locals will actually cause car crashes and then try to rush out and then dismantle things while the driver is like unconscious and then take parts off their car. And then by the time the rescue crews get there, they run off and, and they've got some really, really nice parts because the cars cost a couple hundred thousand dollars sometimes. So anyway, Amanda said that I could go down with my friend who was practicing for the Baja 1000. So I was like, all right, what are we doing here? I was just driving the truck. So I didn't do anything crazy. I just drove the truck and I went from place to place to get ready. But he was getting ready for the race. So our goal for the day was to do 250 miles in the desert so he would know what to expect when he got there in a month. The race is like the 20th, so I'm not going to the race. Don't be scared. Um, my man and I might go see the, oh, the start of it, but I'm not going to race in it. So anyway, he wanted to know what was coming, so he's taking notes as they're going. Well, I am proud to let you know we got 12 miles before their car broke off of a jump. It went off a jump, did something, and all the wheels broke off one whole wheel thing. And it's like, these are expensive cars. Like It was like $10,000, $5,000 worth of damage. But then we had to drive the truck with the trailer on the off-road road to get to where the car was to put the, tra- the car on the buggy on the trailer and then drive it back out to the street. So it was adventure all day. And I was only there for like 12 hours. But I tell you that to tell you this. We want to know what's coming ahead, right? So on the Baja 1000, you want to know exactly what you're facing. If you've got 1,000 miles to go, they get a sheet and the person that sits next to the driver has a phone book of information. It's like 50 pages long and every kilometer marker, there's a warning of what you're gonna face in that next kilometer. So the guy is sitting there and he's talking to the driver the entire time. There's gonna be a left turn. It's gonna be a hard turn. Turn to a three, turn to a one, turn to a five. There's a huge dip, slow down. There's a big, uh, there's a big gully in the road. And so the, the guy on the side is like coaching him the whole time. As we're looking at John, and as we're looking specifically at 1 John, John has given us a kind of warning of some things that we're going to face. And as you're a Christian, maybe nobody told you how treacherous this road was going to be. You just came for all the good stuff, right? The free candy on Sunday nights, um, the being set free, those are good words. Um, Going from darkness to light, stopping to run from your line and getting to a place of truthfulness. Like you, you came for those reasons. But in 1 John, John started a church, right? And years later, the church had started and gotten a little bit off track. And so now he's encouraging them to remember where they came from. So this part in 1 John 3, it turns a corner from 1 John, 2, uh, 1 John chapter 2, which is talking about people deceiving people away from the faith. And at the very end of chapter 2, it drops in a line talking about we're going to be the children of God. And that's where we're going to pick up in John chapter 3. So if you got your word, you should be 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1. So it says this, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, 
that we should be called the children of God. Um, and so we are. Anybody know that song? Did you guys sing that song in Sunday school? How's that song go, mom? Do you remember it? Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Right? Okay, so some of you guys have been to Sunday school. Some of you guys are like, I'm glad I missed that Sunday school class. But, but as soon as I looked at the passage, I was like, I was like oh, I know this song because I've been singing it since I was like five. Um, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Now, as a kid understanding this, it's really cool, right? Because there's a, there's a round part and it's like that we are called the children or the sons of God, that we are, become, are called the children of God. So I just remember as a child early on, being known as a child of God. This wasn't a concept that everybody knew all the time. And as John was talking to the church, probably um, in Europe where he was, maybe around Ephesus and some of the people around there, the, ch- the children of God concept was something that Israel understood from the Old Testament, but it wasn't a universally understood concept, in my understanding, for all the people in the current area that he was talking. So the nation of Israel understood that they were the people of God. They were called the children of God, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, right? So you know that concept from the Old Testament. So as John is talking now to this church, and he's not there, people have joined the church, and they started confusing some of the stories. John is trying to get them back on on track to remind them of who they are. He's trying to give them a preview of kind of what's coming up, right? So it finishes that verse out. It says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. A couple things just to point out here before we jump into the next parts. You should understand, and I think that we all do here, and this is, a, I mean, I'm looking around, I see most people, I, I know of your walk in some way. Some of you I don't know as well as others, but The Bible says this, the Bible says that we shouldn't be surprised when the world isn't on board with what we're on board with. And as you become more in tune with what God is on on board with, you're gonna find a disconnect with the people that you were running with at one time that you seem to be drifting further and further away from them. And so you're gonna be focused on what God has for you and your relationships that you once had that were really tight and I mean, even blood could be thicker than water, but I'm gonna submit that the blood of Christ is thicker than all those other bloods. Even family relational blood, the blood of Christ is gonna trump those things and you are gonna become more and more to the image of Christ and you are gonna look more and more distant or unfamiliar to the people that grew up with you. I've heard, Carmel, I've heard a couple of you tell me your stories and especially over the last couple of years, the closer you get to God, the more you seem distant from those that you started out with. And there's a way that you can still minister. I hear Carmelo say that he's going and trying to minister. His family's had a rough couple of months. There's, there's been some death in the family. And so he is there as God's representative now of the word of God to a family that might not necessarily be looking for God. And now they're just telling Carmelo that he's soft. And I'm like, I know a lot of soft guys in this world, and I wouldn't call Carmelo soft, but, but that tells you like where he comes from is to where his family still is now. The more godly he looks, the softer he is looking to his family. And yet, they want to talk to him and ask him questions because he's there to try to bring light and life because the reason why people are going the wrong direction, they're dying, being hurt, and they're, they're causing more trauma, Carmelo can now see it but they cannot see the trauma they're causing. And so he looks foolish for even showing up and trying to speak life and truth because some of them are just not ready. Maybe you can identify. See, some of you nodding your heads, you can identify you're in that situation. So so we shouldn't be surprised when it says, the reason why the world doesn't know us is because it did not know him. If it killed him, don't you think they're coming for us at some point? 
Like, like, I don't know how we got so, well, I do know how we got so complacent. We came into a country that valued spiritual freedom and we're one of the only countries that have lived in this experiment, right? And for all the flaws that we got and however you wanna blame how we got to where we are right now, there was an there was a adherence to a form of spiritual freedoms that we could actually study and worship what we wanted, kind of how we wanted. We weren't going to be told by the state or the government. So it's kind of funny because now it seems to be going the other direction. Now they're trying to tell us what we can do, but we already started this. We're way down the road here. We can't we can't turn around and go back now. Y'all can try to like tell us what to do, but the Bible says that we've got a different person we're supposed to follow. So we have to adhere to the powers that are, that are here. We have to pray for our leaders over us, but our mindset has to be about what God has for us in the bigger picture, amen? So as we look at 1 John 3, 1, going to 3, 2, it says, beloved, we are God's children now. Like I said, if you wanna look at this concept that he threaded into chapter two, the last two verses, he introduces this, that we're gonna be the children of God, and now he's explaining that right here. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So John's setting this up too. He's setting up, we're not there yet. You know where we're going. Almost like my friend looking ahead to what, what he's gonna face. He's taking notes and he's saying, okay, we have to be ready for everything that we're gonna face. Now on race day at the Baja 1000, Everything is different. Do you know why? Because between now and between November 16th, there's gonna be some storms and some floods. So all of the work that they are doing up to this point could be totally null and void because anything that water happens in some of the floodplains that they're in, everything could be totally different. It can rain during the race. Like all the things that he practiced for are really just to get, make him feel more comfortable getting ready for what's ahead of him. As John is telling us these things, he's not telling you everything you're gonna face. He's giving you a smorgasbord of things that you can know that is coming at some point. I can't tell you when the hard time's gonna come. John's not trying to tell you when the hard times are gonna come. He's just trying to say that as they come, there is a proper way to deal with it that you used to do before you were a Christian, you had a, you had a certain way to deal with it. But now as a believer, you've gotta let your mind be transformed by Christ so you can react to it differently now than you did before you came to Christ. But it's not gonna be easy. And he's saying that it's not gonna be easy. You've got a nature in you. Some of us got saved later in life. And so you've lived up to 30 years of life and it's hard to change on and start thinking as a godly person. That's not an easy transition. Some of us got saved when we were little kids in church. So we don't remember a whole lot of our thuggish days. I'm sure I punched my brother in the face. I'm sure I stole some stuff. I'm sure I did some really negative things. My mom can attest to those things. My dad and mom can attest. If you want to get the dirt, talk to them. But I'm saying I have less of those memories and yet I still have a sin nature that's in me that still struggles. I still have those issues and I don't necessarily have a, a long list of things or a huge rap sheet, but the Bible says it really doesn't matter how big my physical rap sheet is because spiritually my rap sheet was condemning of death without Christ. So it doesn't matter what the government says I'm, I'm guilty of. The Bible is what says, this is what truly Brent, you're guilty of. And in some regards, the Bible says for those that have been raised up in faith in church, when you know to do good and don't do it, it is counted for you as sin at even a higher level because you know better. Some, some of us, we've come to church at different places and, and I used to tell my kids in youth group this all the time. 
The good news is you're gonna lose, learn some truth tonight. The bad news is you will now be responsible for this for the rest of your life and you'll never be able to tell God you didn't know. And the kids are like, what, what are you gonna tell me? You know, like, I don't, I don't know if I wanna, if, if you wanna stop reading, stop reading now. In fact, I even told somebody at one point, stop reading your Bible and stop reading verses and verses and verses until you start practicing the verse that you read yesterday. Because we get so hooked up on trying to get all the information but you can't follow except one turn at a time. If I went with my friend to Baja and I looked at 50 pages of the road, what good is it gonna do for me to scan through it so I can at least know everything that's coming, right? We focus so much time stressed on the wrong things because right now, if you're in the car, you're only concerned about the very next turn. There are plenty of instructions out there and the word of God is plenty deep enough for you to get lost the rest of your life getting every nuance out of every word. But some of us, we need to like apply what we learned today. Some of us went to church this morning. We took notes. How many of us, okay, I'll say it. How many of me very seldomly ever go back and look at the notes that I took that morning? I take so many notes, man. If I, if I, if I got points for taking notes, I would be doing really well. I'm sure God would be very happy with me. But there's no points for taking notes in heaven. God wants us to apply the notes that we have. So if you take no notes, but you apply what you got, you got a higher score for the day than me. Even though one person might say, oh, that person looks like a good student. Are you really a good student if you don't apply what you're learning? John is talking about the application is much more difficult than the information. And so as we are looking here, you've got to be thinking about these things. We are now the children of God and, and, and we will be, um, what we will be has not yet appeared, right? Christ is coming again. There, there's a return that Christ is coming. He's going to demonstrate for us as he returns. But he says, but we know that when he does appear, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Now, some of you guys have already studied this passage a little bit and you know about the Gnosticism and like what was going on. There was people that were like, um, they were worshiping the idea of God in twofold, either that God was all spirit or God was all human. And they were separating the spiritualness because isn't that messy, right? If you say somebody's 100% God and 100% man, that's, that's hard to kind of comprehend. Don't, don't play like it's not. Like if you think you got it, you just don't really understand the concept, right? So it's difficult to understand 100% God and 100% man. It's difficult for me to think about how Jesus lived his life as God and yet as man. We don't have all those stories. The Bible was intentionally ambiguous about what happened through his teen years. I wanna know, did he ever get yelled at by his mom? And then I wanna know, did he ever tell his mom something back that was spiritual, but was like, I mean, he didn't sin, the Bible says, but he knew stuff, right? And we have that one story of him in the temple where his parents left him. They thought he was with the family. He wasn't there. And Jesus was like, what are you talking about? I was with my, I do my father's business. You, you knew this? Mary, come on. I mean, I'm sure he didn't say that. Like, you know, hey, Mary, what's going on? Like, you know, my boy Gabe talked to you about 13 years ago and told you this was coming, right? Remember? He, he was, you know, Michael, and they, these angels showed up to you, Mary. You got to remember that. Hey, there's this lot of hard stuff in the word that is hard to understand. So when he says that he's going to appear, some of that was like trying to talk to the people that, that either didn't believe that he had a physical body because he was all spirit or that he only had a physical body and there was no spiritual aspect. So he's fusing these concepts together. Uh, we don't have time to go into it today, but if you look at um, even John chapter one, you guys remember um, John chapter one, uh, verses like 10, 11, and 12, um, 
John talks about that. He talks about the world didn't understand him. He talks about that, that, that he was not gonna be of this world and, and they weren't gonna get it. And then he even talks about in the gospel of John, chapter one, verse number 11 and 12, he talks about the concept of the children of God. So he even like introduced the concept way back then because they were having a hard time understanding how are we physical and spiritual at the same time. Now I'm setting all this up because we're gonna get into some deeper water and you need to understand that there is some, there's, there's, there's a duality that's happening and you've got a spirit side, you've got a flesh and you've got spirit. And you might think you understand how, how that all works, but where we're going next is gonna put us all kind of on trial a little bit. So you gotta know that if you believe and if you call yourself a believer, if you are saved for the purposes that God has you saved for, you're saved to do something, not just saved, period. You are saved, but there is something that is connected to your salvation. You are saved to do something, to be a part of something greater. Otherwise, we would just get saved and then we would just disappear. You just be, you know, I believe in Jesus, done. People are like, man, it's that easy. I believe in you, boom, you know? And then all the believers would just be disappearing. Paul said that. He said, it would be easier to leave out of the body and be present with the Lord, but because I've been called to stay, I'm gonna fulfill my course. It would have been easier. Paul said that very, very clearly. So follow with me to the next verse. John chapter three, First uh, John three, verse three. And it says, and everybody who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. All right, this is where it starts to get a little bit harder, right? Because the first part is pretty easy to understand. The world doesn't get us. Okay, I got it. We're gonna be like him. Okay, I got it. And then he says, but everybody who, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And then people start saying, but really, I can't be pure like Christ, right? Like, like he, didn't, he didn't really mean pure. Like he meant like kind of tainted a little bit, right? But if you look at the words, the words don't seem to give us much wiggle room. At San Diego High, um, I did a sermon illustration and I took a, a, a soda. Uh, all the kids were drinking whatever it was they were drinking that, that, that year. So I took it to them. There's their favorite drink. And I took a spoonful of dirt out of the parking lot at Park Boulevard in the back alley. Like bad dirt. Like some of y'all know, it's not the kind of dirt you want to be around you at all. And I had the spoonful of dirt and I asked for a volunteer to come on up. And I said, all right, I got this drink for you. I said, but I just got to know, you're going to have to tell me when to stop. And I'm going to start pouring some of this dirt from our alley at our church into your soda. And you tell me when enough is too much. I, man, I barely got one grain of anything falling in there. And like I said, Park Boulevard alley dirt is not the best dirt, right? And so it was dirty dirt. I wasn't gonna let the kid drink it. And the kid wasn't even fixing to drink it at that point because once, once one piece of that went into there, the entire thing was contaminated. It was no longer pure because now it had something foreign inside that could potentially cause death. It was just more of a gross illustration for them. I should have, what I should have done is had like another one down by my backpack and then just put it down and then put it on the switch and then just drank it just to freak them out. But I didn't, I didn't think about that. I just thought about that right now. But youth pastor 101. But, but I was just trying to wonder like how much contamination is too much? Listen, some of us come from pretty filthy backgrounds and the Bible says without Christ, we all got filthy backgrounds. Whether you acknowledge it or realize how completely depraved you are without Christ, it doesn't matter whether you became a Christian as a little teeny baby or like 10 minutes ago. Your past, the Bible says, is no good at all. There's nothing that was redeemable about your past except that God wanted to redeem it to be able to walk in, in, in his likeness. So all of that has to go away. 
Doesn't matter how much dirt was in the past. The purity is in Christ is now living in you. And this is weird. This is as hard to understand as, as, um, as the Trinity or as the, 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 the dual nature of God and Jesus being 100% God and 100% man. This is hard to get because the Bible says that as you have given your life to him, you have been emptied of those other things and Christ has imputed. He's put something in you. His righteousness is now in you. So what is it that causes us to keep on trying to go back? Because the Bible says the old has gone, right? 2 Corinthians 5, and the new has come. So if those concepts are true, and John talks about it specifically here, that we're supposed to live with that purity, and listen, it gets harder. The next verse is even worse. So I'm trying to get us to this place so you can get ready for the next hard jump. Because now we're supposed to live pure. Did everybody do that right? Everybody, everybody got, everybody's got pure living down? Like, y'all got, yeah, I mean, John, I mean, if John were here, John would be like, oh, all right, guys, how you guys doing your purity? Everybody pure? We're not just talking about sexual purity. He's just talking about purity of heart. Anybody thought of something of your old life, like your old life crept in this week? I may, I've had stuff creep in today. And I knew I was preaching. I was like, man, I gotta be pure today, right? I gotta think all these good things. But then I went to Canada Steak Burger and I'm already unpure because I ate that. And it was glorious, and I was so happy about it. And I'm like, man, I'm a glutton. So where is the purity that we're supposed to be having? Like, so I'm asking you to think about it even this week. I don't think that we're going to be settled on this today because the purity, like, ideally, I'd want to be able to say we're supposed to live as Christ lived, holy as he is holy. The Bible says at multiple places that it seems to be, in his mind, doable. But then I hear a lot of people make excuses like, he doesn't really mean, you know, it's a slow, it's a slow maturity, you know, like it's all right. Like you don't, you don't have to give all those things up. Like, you know, and you know what? God's going to tell you what to do. We're not here to tell you how you're supposed to get, maintain that purity or get that. It just says, the Bible says that in Christ, that purity is there, that it's available to you. So what causes us to keep on reverting back? What is the thing that keeps on drawing us back to those places? I'm going to, I don't got a lot of time, but uh, I want to share this with you. Yesterday, I, um, I accomplished something was my first time ever. Um, my car, Acura, the great bomber outside, it passed 300,000 miles. 300. And we got it for free. Did we get it for free? Did, yeah, we did pay it, your parents just gave it to you before we got married. So didn't have a car that cost us and it's made it 300,000 miles. So I was thinking, man, this is, this is a pretty great deal. 300,000, that's a long way. So I started doing some math, right? So I did, I did a, all the stuff and tried to figure out, we've had, a, it's, it's 20 years old. So at 300,000 miles, it means that on average, it's gone about 41 miles per day for the last 20 years. And it hasn't had to have an engine rebuild. But I started thinking about some stuff. Now think about this, as a believer, You've received salvation. That salvation was free. You've been saved for a purpose. You didn't have to create it. You didn't have to whatever. You just were given. I mean, her father bought a car, paid for it in full, did all the stuff, and gave us a gift. We received the gift of a vehicle, and now all I got a chance to do is not have to walk anymore, and now I could actually drive somewhere. So my status changed. I was no longer a walker or a, a bike rider or a skateboarder. I was now a driver. So I've got a new 
trajectory. I've got a new life. But for me to be able to understand what car is like, now, so people out here got cars, right? I know most of you I've seen, you guys got cars. How much does it cost you to run your car? Do you say Jesus? It costs you Jesus? Your car might cost more than most. So, so I did some math and I started doing some math at 20 miles a gallon is what my car gets. So, so if I drive 41 miles a day, I'm not a good math major, so don't check me. Um, I'm paying about what? At this rate, I'm paying about $10 a day just in gas. That's not counting insurance. My car costs about $100 a month in insurance, so I kind of added that together. It doesn't count oil. Uh, at that rate, I need to change the oil five times in one year. Some of you guys just find that for the first time, so that's why your car doesn't make it long enough. So every three to 5,000 miles, depending on your car making model, you should be changing your oil. So that means in one year, it should cost me about $250 to change my oil on my car. My tires, um, I have off-road tires, on-road, off-road, so they might cost me a little bit more than your tires, but I spend about $400 a year in tires. So I did some math and started trying to figure it out. Do you know what? I figured out that it cost me every day about $15 to have a car, and it's a free car. I added that up over 20 years. Do you know how much I paid for my car? $86,000. Without a car note, with a free vehicle, just so that car could get 300,000 miles, it has cost me $87,000. And that's estimating a $4 gas, not five. I didn't didn't want to jump there yet. It was going to be too sad. (laughs) Now, the reason why I tell you that is this. What you've been given has been given to you for free. But the responsibility of you living out the life that you're supposed to live is going to have some cost. There are going to be some parts that you've got to work with so that you can get to the destination that God has for you. If you're not doing your tires, your car ain't going to make it. Oil, if you don't have insurance, you're going to lose your registration. I didn't even count registration. I didn't count a $4,000 transmission. I didn't count any regular maintenance outside of oil, tires, insurance, and gas. That's the only estimation. So if I think about what I've spent on my car over the last 20 years, it's more than $100,000. Easy. $100,000 for a free vehicle. Some of us treat our faith like that. We've got it. It didn't didn't seem to have cost us anything. And then you get to these verses, and these verses make it seem like it's going to cost you a lot. And some of us are like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. I didn't sign up for that. I don't think that Hans would have told me when he gave me the car, hey, I want to give you the car, and if you're really, really good, it's going to cost you about $100,000 if you wanted to get to 300,000 miles. We, we never had that conversation, and I probably would have said, pass, you know, except I need a car, and that's just how it works. So follow with me with this to these next couple of verses. Everybody who makes a practice of sinning also practices a lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. We don't have a lot of time to, to get into it. I've got a couple minutes to land this. But there's a couple of words in there um, in Greek. And the, the word for sin, some of you guys know in Greek, is hamartano or however you say it. Koine Greek's a dead language. But hamartano is like the word. So, but they have another word in here that's called lawlessness. And there's a comparison that sin is lawlessness. Now, sin, you guys know from Sunday school, sin is what? Missing the mark, right? That's the word hamartano which means that we miss the mark, okay? But the word lawlessness comes from a different word. 
And if lawlessness is the word for sin that they are using here and equating here, that is an intentional, deliberate, not missing the mark, but you went out to go do dirt. There's a totally different thing going on here. So when he says in verse number three that we're supposed to purify ourselves as he is pure, and then he says everybody who makes the practice of sinning also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. And then it says verse number five, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. He's kind of like going, right? You know that, right? We talked about that when I was there before. You know that he did this in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. So somehow people had got in there to say a little bit of sin is okay. A little bit of impurity is okay. Now, obviously, I don't want anybody to walk out of here feeling like, man, I got some impurity, like I'm not okay. I just want to let you know, the Bible seems to indicate that God has solved that so you don't have to live with the impurity. So when you got saved and God put inside you his righteousness, not yours, not earned, but because of his righteousness, it somehow now is in you. So believer, as we witness, as we find people, as we expand to other campuses and other places, don't let people be deceived into thinking that because they grew up in a life of sin, that it somehow is going to take a long time for them to start living a holy or righteous life. Because the Bible says that he implants righteousness and there might be a process of us understanding our salvation, but there's no process in the part of salvation. You are either saved or you are not saved. There's not, I'm getting saved. And as we're talking to people in the neighborhood, some people want to clean themselves up, but we know that's a futile effort. You can't clean yourself up. If that was the case, you wouldn't need Jesus. You wouldn't need church. And most of us ain't strong enough to clean ourselves up anyway. That's how come we've gone so long waiting for somebody to be the savior for us. And we don't even know how we got there, but somehow our language, and it seems like the language of those days was in this way, that they were trying to tell people, that's okay, you got some stuff going on, that's okay, because the, the, the body is flesh, flesh is evil, therefore you're never gonna be able to get rid of your sin. That's a Gnostic precept. And he's talking against that. And I don't know if we still have some of that lingering, but I hear it. I hear us saying like, well, I ain't perfect, so don't hold me to it, Pastor Brent. Or I might even say that to you. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I try to lead with the sin part rather than the part that I've been imputed his righteousness. I don't even have that as an excuse. But to somebody that's spiritually not getting it, it sounds spiritual. And I might even be able to play it off that it's okay. Like, I'm okay, you're okay. Don't hold me to that because I'm a work in progress. And we've heard people say that. And I I think we say it in good conscience. I don't think that we're intentionally trying to deceive each other, but that's not what John is talking about here. John is talking about you either with God or you're not with God. And he's going to get worse. It's going to get harder because he's going to start throwing away words like you of the devil. You know, and I'm talking talking about Bobby Boucher and Waterboy. I'm talking about the real devil. Like, this is, this is terrible. If you haven't seen Waterboy, don't worry about it. It's not important. Verse number six, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And people start going, oh, come on, Brett. That can't be talking about what you, you know, I mean, like, no, it says it pretty, pretty clearly. You can't keep on sinning. 
Like, I'm not going to tell you what those sins are. That's where the church, I think, has kind of got it wrong. Because the, the, sin, the church tries to put the things out there that the Spirit is trying to work with you about. You are going to know what it is that you need to stop doing. And when it becomes revealed to you, you can no longer go back into the darkness because the light has been illuminated. The light, God the light, has spiritually illuminated your mind. He's transforming your thinking, and you can't go backwards anymore. I don't understand how that seems that we think that we can just revert back into whatever. If you've been walking this way, man, I, I, get, I get concerned for the people that have been walking with us and are no longer walking with us. I, I mean, if they're going to another church, God bless them, pass the potatoes, we're all good, we'll see you in heaven. But there are people that have seemed to be of us and gone out from us, and now they're somehow thinking or deceived, and I'm like, you know better. And maybe we just don't want to face the truth. I don't know if there's enough alcohol or drugs in the world to make me forget what I already know about who God is. Come on, come on. I would have to live a pretty all the time, totally twacked out, depraved life to forget about what God has already promised to give me and held me accountable to. And maybe you've got friends that are in that situation. That's why we're still trying to help. Like there's gonna be some prodigals and those prodigals are gonna have to be able to come back. And I don't want them to feel bad when they come back up. They don't, they don't need to get beat up when they come back into the church. Trust me, they feel plenty beat up already. They don't need to be told that they did wrong. They already know, they're living it every single day, feeling it every single day. The joy that they once had, the goodness that used to be is now darkness and depravity. And they have felt like they can't find their way home. We are supposed to be salt and light, even to those communities, those people have been religiously abused. Maybe they've gone to some sort of church and gotten away from it. Stuff is hard. It doesn't get any easier. I wish I could tell you it does. It will, it will when I'm done, and then we'll just leave it for next week for somebody to finish it up. <laughs> Number seven, little children. Don't you love being called little children? <laughs> like, all right, thanks. Little children, let nobody deceive you. Remember, there was deceivers in their group. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And this stuff's pretty easy to understand. I mean, the words are there. You can look them up in Greek and Hebrew. They say the same thing. Like you can, you can try to like find a, a way around it. But I was looking at all this stuff to be like, okay, how am I gonna be able to keep sinning? Because this is really making it seem like I need to stop sinning. Like right now, all of it. Like I can't, I can't keep on my little practice of my couple things that I try to say, well, I'm not sinning as bad as somebody else. We do that. We don't, we don't always say it out loud, but we do. And don't we always say, well, I'm not sinning as much as I used to sin. Maybe you don't compare yourself to somebody else, but you just compare yourself to how you used to be. That's great. But just understand that how you used to be was in no way accepted by God at all. So once you start comparing to something that was already damned, what are you doing? Why do I do that? Why am I trying to compare myself to something damned? Like that's, that seems foolishness to me, especially since the Bible says pretty clearly, don't go there because there's an imputed righteousness that God has given you once for all. It's, it's, a, it's a good deal. And I hear people want to talk about like eternal security and am I still saved and I've walked away. I'm not even trying to go down those roads. I'm just trying to say right here, right now, where you are, are you able to say that God's righteousness that was earned by him and given to you and it's in you if you've received him, can you say right here today that you're living a righteous and pure life? Because that's what we're supposed to be saying. But maybe we get a little bit too close to each other's feelings. Like, I don't want you to get all the feelings and be mad. But I think we need to help each other be more, maybe more mad at those things. Because I, I tolerate some of your sin and you tolerate some of my sin. And 
I do something that seems arrogant, nobody puts me in check. You do something that seems whatever, and maybe I don't call it out. But isn't that why we're supposed to be in the church? Like, we're not here to like point each other, yell each other, and be rude about it. But the Bible says in love, we're supposed to like come to each other and be like, is that really the best you can do with that? Because the Bible says that we both need to live better than this. We got, we got to get past this mentality because we're living Gnostic right now. We're pretending that my flesh is still evil and that my spirit somehow is good. And one day I'm going to be in the spirit and everything's going to be good. But as long as I'm living in this body, I'm going to be damned in the flesh. That's a Gnostic concept. That's not the scriptures. The scripture says that, that you are one, that God has entered you as flesh to live righteously and godly in this present world. It doesn't say wait till heaven. It says in this present world. I wish those were easier words. And I wish I could tell you that the translation could be off. Like maybe your Bible makes it easier. But I looked in like five or six translations and it didn't get better in any of them because it's the word of God and it's the truth. Last part right here. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. <laughs> so I'm gonna ask you this because we, want, we don't wanna throw this stuff out around people, but you can throw this to yourself. And I want you to leave and be all depressed and leave here like angry at yourself. But when you have a practicing habitual situation, and the Bible says that that's not what you were created for, and somehow we go back to, I don't have all these sins anymore, but this is just the one. We all got a one. Like you pick your one. Pick, pick your top one. Maybe you got two or three. You're gonna have to sort them out a little bit. Just pick your one. Pick your one habitual sin. And like I said, I don't want you to walk out here beating yourself up or whatever, but, but if this is true and God's word is true and I'm operating from that worldview that there is a solution to this that I somehow just am not practicing right because the equation is right in front of me, I just don't always get it the first or second or fifth time or hundredth time. Whoever practices sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So I can't be on both teams. I grew up and this was my only team. But when I was accepted and, and, and was part of God's family, the other team went away. The, the old is gone and the new is now here. And yet somehow I'm still painfully or joyfully attracted to those things that keep me living in those dark spaces. The, ha the habitual stuff that nobody else really sees. Now at our church, I hope that we don't have deceivers in our church. I don't think we do. Like, I think, Pete, we do a pretty good job of making sure that who we're teaching and, you know, the pastors get together and talk about content and, and try to hold each other accountable the best they can. And, and uh, a couple months ago, I said something wrong uh, in one of, I, I, I made a slip while I was doing communion. And I said that, that Jesus' bones were crushed. And somebody in the church, like, went off the handle. Oh my gosh, there's apostasy in the church. I, I just said the wrong word. I, I meant to say not crushed. And I actually said crushed. And it came out. And a couple people heard it. And and they're like, yeah, I was wondering where you're going with that. And I was like, somebody should have told me on that. I would have corrected it at that moment. You can raise your hand and be like, Brent, did you mean to say crushed? Because I think the Bible says Jesus' bones were not crushed. Yeah, that's exactly what I said, right? No, that's not what you said. Sorry, just to clear it up. Listen, I, I think, yeah, it was a couple years ago. It was, it was at Park Boulevard. But I'm saying, like, sometimes we let things slide and we just like say, well, or we're not paying attention, or we're not holding each other accountable, but we try to be accurate to the word of God because I don't care all the time necessarily only what Pete says, but as Pete is listening to God, 
I need to make sure that those things are aligned. And Pastor Pope, and whoever's teaching when Franklin's leading worship, if, even if there's a song that, that, that we're having a hard time seeing how that fits with scripture, it's okay to, to sit down and ask some questions because we're not trying to do what everybody else does. We're trying to stick to the word of God. And the Bible says it's gonna be pretty difficult to kind of maintain that course. And there's a couple thousand years of history where people have gotten off course fairly frequently and in fairly consistent patterns. So just like the Baha 1000, there will be things that we can prepare for, but there is stuff that we don't know what's coming. But we as a team, we're working on this together to try to help get ready for those turns. How hard is this gonna be? What is God saying about how we're supposed to live to each other, with each other? The Bible says that we confess our sins one to another so we can thus fulfill the law of Christ because there's forgiveness in the talking to other people and letting people hear what's going on and shouldering our burdens. I don't need a Pope, I need you. I don't need a, a spiritual person other than you are a spiritual person if you've been taken in by Christ. Now you are holy. You are a priesthood of the believer. You've got Christ in you. You are spiritual as the Pope. If you're a Pope follower, it's okay. You can keep whatever your Pope following stuff is, but I'm just letting you know, he's just a dude. Just like I'm just a dude. Mary was great, but she ain't who I'm praying to. I'm praying to Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. I gotta finish up these last verses and be done. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil's been seen sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse number nine, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. So my question's really simple. Have you been born of God? Some of you, maybe not. Maybe you're just like, nope, I'm just learning right now. Great, you just got an inside track on what it is to be a believer in Christ. If you've been born of God, you've been born again, and God now lives inside you, you are to be different. Now, the Bible says here, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. That means that God has put something in you, and now you are different because of that. You guys know that word is sperma? God's seed? That's where we get our word sperm from. God's seed, sperma, has been implanted inside of you and you are completely different. Something different is growing inside of you because of where God saw that we needed to get back to him. And we couldn't do it. The nation of Israel couldn't do it. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob couldn't do it. Everything was pointing, pointing towards Jesus. And then that's the mystery revealed is that Christ is able to be for the Jew and the Gentile, the lost, the chained, the broken, the least, that's where the Bible says that we're supposed to be. So tonight, I'm gonna ask you, have you been born of God? That's a really simple thing, and, and you can try to justify all the things, but the question is real simple. Are you born of God? Has God implanted himself and his righteousness into your life? And if he has, church, then you gotta stop your sinning. You've got to stop whatever it is that you're going back to again and again and again. And I say that for me too. I'm not just saying it to you. I'm saying it to us. We can't live as though we can separate the spirit and the body anymore because that's exactly what John was talking about 2,000 years ago. That's exactly what it's talking to us right here, right now. So as we close, I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. And you might remember these things that have happened to you. If you're of Christ, the Bible says, if you're his son, if you, are, if you are a child of God, you've been changed. 
So tonight, I don't want you to focus on being saved. I want you to focus on being changed. Because it's easy to say, I've been saved. But if you've been saved, then you've been changed. You can't be changed because you can't change by yourself. You have to have the saving so the changing can happen. And if God has implanted himself in you, the change must come. come the change has to happen. Have you moved from chaos to Christ? Have you moved from lost to found? Have you gone from wrong to right? I didn't mean to do this. Have you gone from darkness to light? <laughs> Have you gone from self to not me, where it's only about what Christ wants? Have you gone from fear to faith? Have you gone from chains to being set free? Have you gone from indifference to love? Have you gone from silence to true communion? Have you gone from us being us to it being about him? I don't know what you need to put in the gap. What have you gone from what to God? And as Christ lives in you, that's the hope of glory. You get a chance to live the life that he has, not the life that you are creating. So pray with me. Father God, we just thank you uh, for your word. Lord, I just thank you, God, for John. I thank you, God, for, um, for the gospel of John and for the concepts that he started talking about. I thank you, Lord, for first, second, third John uh, as he got a chance to finish and communicate the truth later to people that had already taken the first gospel and, and read it and then practiced it and created it. And then somehow some people kind of got off track. So Lord, I just pray, Lord, for us tonight. God, as we come to you, God, we, we come to you as, as people that were broken, but Lord, you have made us whole. So I don't want to identify, Lord, with my brokenness. I don't want to use my brokenness as an excuse not to live righteously, but Lord, because I have crossed over from that broken side to the, the seed that now lives in me, that seed of righteousness, the seed of holiness, God, for me to live pure, as the Bible says, as holy as you are holy, God, I pray, Lord, that we will help each other be accountable to those things. We'll help our neighborhoods to know that they don't have to live with the consequences, not necessarily the, the physical consequences, but the spiritual consequences of where they were going have now been solved because, Lord, you want to solve that in all of us. There still might be some physical things that we've got to go through, but, God, that you have solved us. And the Bible even says, by all those things, God, we are healed. So I just thank you, Lord, that we can be here and we can encourage each other, um, that, Lord, that we don't live as those that have no hope. But God, uh, we celebrate you, uh, the risen Christ, and we just thank you, Lord, for your blood that was shed to cover our sins so that we could go from death to life and now that you could be our Savior um, and we can live changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.